text we read this morning, or at least the chapter we read together this morning in Romans chapter 14, please. Romans chapter 14. Again, I want to remind you, much of our study in Romans 14 is based on the books you see on the screen, a commentary actually written for the people of Cambodia um, by J.D. Crowley, missionary there, spent his, much of his life in, in uh, Far Eastern countries as a missionary, and um, he and uh, Andy Maselli, um collaborated on a book on the conscience, and I even told you about that back when we were studying the conscience together leading into our study of Romans 14. So again, I, I say that in case you would like to learn more about these books, we can certainly talk about it, but I also just wanted you to know that I do borrow brains. Uh, I do that all the time in my preaching, and uh, otherwise you would not be here, I promise so um, just wanted to, again to make you aware of that. We're working through principles in chapter number 14. There are about 12 that we're going to study together. Principles related to how to disagree when the Bible allows us to disagree. And the Bible allows us to disagree. Now there are some things it doesn't. There are some things... One way to put it is, thus saith the Lord. That's good King James English. Thus saith the Lord. That's the way it is, whether you believe it or not. God said it, and so that's the way it's always going to be. For instance, God says marriage is between a man and a woman. Period. That ends the story. That ends the discussion. Unless you want to throw God out which is what is happening in our society today. God says marriage is between a man and a woman. God says adultery is wrong and it always will be. Stealing is wrong and it always will be. Jesus was born of a virgin, whether you want to uh, deny it or not. Jesus was born to a virgin mother. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit of God. There is Jesus. Whether we believe it or not, there is a place called heaven that God's children go to after they die. There is a place called hell that those who reject Jesus go to after they die. There are some things that God says that cannot be denied. Or they can be denied, but still the truth. But there are some areas where we can disagree, like we talked about last week. Should I wear a tie every time I preach? Now, I did today because I didn't know if some of you could take it two weeks in a row. Not <laughs> All right. Am I required to wear, wear a tie when I preach? Are we required to uh, dress a certain way in order to come to church? Now, I think we ought to dress appropriately. But does that include only certain things like skirts or whatever the case may be? There are some places, areas of Scripture where we can disagree and still have unity, which is what we ought to be more concerned about anyway, rather than just our own agendas. Unity, that's what God is about. And that's what Romans chapters 12 through chapter 15, verse 17, verse 7 is all about. Unity in the body. 
Principle number one is found in verse number one of chapter 14, as well as in verse number one of chapter 15. Welcome him that is weak in the faith. Welcome, receive. Look at verse number, um, chapter one, verse 15. We that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Look at verse number seven. Wherefore, receive ye one another as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Receive, welcome. That's principle. We've, we've spent a lot of time on principle number one. Welcoming, accepting. This is not keeping people at arm's length. This is opening your arms to those with whom we would disagree. All right. Let me give you another example. You understand, and of course, all you have to do is have a Facebook account to understand that there is a great deal of political disagreement right now. Right? Could you find unity with a Democrat? I know some of us are going, don't push this preacher. Don't push. Now, if you're a Democrat, God bless you. I'm glad you're here. Can you, as a Democrat, find unity with a Republican? And I'm not even necessarily talking about on political issues. I'm talking about on things that matter to God. You say he doesn't care about politics? Well, we can talk about that, all right? The refugee crisis is a major issue in our news right now, is it not? Can you find unity with those with whom you disagree concerning refugees? And, and by the way, if you want to help millennials, they're probably not going to think the same way about refugees you do. For them, many of them, it's a pro-life issue. If we're going to be pro-life about unborn babies, why shouldn't we be pro-life about refugees who need our help? Now, I'm not saying I agree with them. I'm not saying I disagree with them. All I'm saying is, are we willing to find unity when we strongly disagree with them? And, and by the way, it's okay because God's not real clear about the refugee situation, all right? <coughs> At least in some ways. We're not Jewish. All right. So he's not real clear in some ways about it. And I just bring those things up not to not so you can have Facebook fodder. All right. I bring those things up because those are issues we deal with. Those are issues our young people are dealing with. Those are issues that you and I need to probably at least be willing to say. I can disagree. And we can have unity. All right. Now I'm going to carry that thought over a little bit. Make sure my yeah everything's right there. All right. Don't be afraid to point at me if that thing goes wacky, please, because I want I want you to, to follow along with me. So that's principle number one. Let's move on, and we 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 got into principles two and three, but I I, I want to I want to go back and make sure that we we have a clear understanding here. Issue or principle number two is found beginning in verse number three. Let not him that eateth 
despise him that eateth not. Now again, there are three issues that Paul is dealing with in chapter 14 that were areas of strong disagreement among the church at Rome, among the Jewish people and among the Gentile believers. The Jewish believers and Gentile believers. They disagreed on whether or not they should eat meat or should they just eat vegetables. The King James word used here is herbs, vegetables. And there were reasons that people who didn't eat meat had and they were Bible reasons. And there were, pe there were reasons that people could eat meat uh, had they, were, they had Bible reasons as to why they could, just like some people do today on issues where we disagree. We have Bible reasons. We just don't come down in the same position. So one issue was what they could eat. One issue was whether or not they should drink wine. Another issue was celebrating holidays or holy days according to the Jewish calendar. So principle number two says that the one who does or the one who eats should not despise the one who doesn't eat meat. The one who eats meat should not despise the one who doesn't eat meat. Now this, the word despise here means to, to treat with contempt. Let's, uh, let's again use the words that Paul uses, the strong, all right? The strong have a conscience that allows them to eat meat, even though it may have been offered to idols, even though they may come from a background where they were forbidden from eating certain kinds of things, those with a strong conscience in this context chose or their conscience allowed them to eat meat. The weak had a conscience that would not allow them. Maybe because they had been taught that there were certain kinds of meats that were unclean, or maybe they had been involved in idol worship like we see going on in a parallel text in the church of Corinth, all right? Maybe they had been involved in idol worship and, and eaten meat that they knew was served in idolatrous ceremonies. Their conscience wouldn't allow them to eat that meat, and they had Bible reasons. Both the strong and the weak had Bible reasons. Here is a direct command to those who have a strong conscience as it relates to those who have a weak conscience. Those who do eat meat and those who don't. Paul says, if you eat meat, don't treat with contempt the people who don't. Alright, let's, let's not say meat. Let's say, if you have a conscience that allows you to do some things that another person's conscience does not allow them to do, you who do those things shouldn't be show contempt to those who don't. So really, you kind of have the opposite of what we hear a lot about today. A lot of what we hear about today tends to be directed just to one side of this issue. What do I mean by that? Let me bring in principle number three here. Those whose conscience restricts them 
must not be judgmental toward those who have freedom. You see, he goes on and he says, and let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth. For God had, has received him. Who art thou that judgest another man's servant? To his own master he standeth or falleth. Yea, he shall be holden up, for God is able to make him stand. The reason I wanted to bring both of those principles together is, is because what you have today is you have people with strong consciences showing contempt to those with weaker consciences. Those who can do things showing contempt toward those who don't. But on the other hand, you have those with consciences that do not allow them to do certain things being very judgmental of those whose consciences do allow them. It works both ways, folks. In both ways, it's wrong. Whether or not you have a conscience, you may have a conscience that allows you to do some of the things that we've said We've talked about things and we've given illustrations of things that people feel very strongly that they should not do. But if you treat that person with contempt, you're violating Scripture. That person has Bible reasons for why they don't do whatever it is they do. Maybe they don't go to movies. Maybe they don't listen to certain kinds of music. Maybe there are certain kinds of clothes they will not wear. And you, who don't feel like those things ought to be restrictions, if you look down on them and if you treat them with contempt, you are sinning. You see... People with strong consciences sometimes may say things like, well, why don't those people just, why don't they get it? Why don't they grow up? Why don't they understand the freedom they have in Christ? Why don't they just mature? You know, they're so legalistic. Don't you hear that? <coughs> Stop being a legalist. By the way, that's not really the definition. It's not really what that word means. Some people say, well, all they, all, they, all they think about is rules. I live in freedom. You know what? God has rules. God has rules. And let's just admit it. There are some things God said, don't do. We live in such a promiscuous culture. You know what? There are some things that God says we shouldn't even talk about as believers that go on in our culture that are accepted as everyday lifestyle issues. On the other hand, let's turn it now the other direction. Those whose conscience restricts them, those whose conscience restricts them must not be judgmental. What does the word judgmental here mean? Again, the context helps us to understand definition. The word judgmental here means condemned. So you have strong showing contempt toward the weak. You have the weak conscience, those who don't do certain things, judging, condemning those whose conscience allows certain things. Maybe they're going to say things like, how can those people be Christians? How can they even be saved and think that way? How can they be Christians and do the things that they do? Don't they know they're hurting the testimony of Christ and the church? 
Don't they know that they're supposed to give up things like that for the sake of the gospel? And you know what? Some of those things might be legitimate things for people to think about. But the point is this. If you don't do certain things, and there are people in your church that do the things that you don't think you ought to do, you have no right to condemn them. And if you do, you're sinning. And why is that? Because ultimately God is all of our, is, is, is the judge for all of us. And we answer to him. We answer to him. Not only do we answer to him, God, Paul gives us another reason not to have a condemning attitude or showing contempt in our spirit. The other reason is, at the end of verse number three, God has welcomed both. God has welcomed both. Now folks, let that sink in. Those who look down on some who think that they just need to grow up, God has accepted them. Those who look at others and think that they're sinning or that, that they're condemning them because of their life, their, the, the, the choices that they God has accepted both. In other words, if God loves them, so should we. So should we. Now I understand this. This just kind of doesn't sit right. Maybe with what we've been taught or how we grew up, or it just doesn't. It just doesn't feel right based on how strongly we feel about our own positions, right? I mean, because let's face it, we do, many of us feel very strongly. And we have Bible reasons for what we either do or don't do. Do you remember back, seems like back in 18-something when we started this study? And we went through a list of things, we went through a long list of things where, that people are making really big issues out of, that the Bible doesn't make a big issue out of. Wherever you fall on the scale in those issues, God welcomes you. Now, does that mean that the person over here is, is the one who's right and the person who's over here is the one who's right? You know what? We're never always right. But God is. And no matter where you fall on the scale of conscience, weak or strong, strong or, strong or weak, no matter where you fall on that scale of conscience, we ought to always be calibrating our conscience to get closer to what God says rather than just how we feel or what we think. And the fact is, the closer both of those extremes are coming, the closer both of those are coming to what God says, that's where the unity comes from. Because we're more concerned about pleasing God than our own positions. 
So principle number two, those who have freedom of conscience must not look down on, treat with contempt those who don't have freedom in certain areas. Principle number three, those whose conscience restricts, restricts them must not be judgmental, condemning toward those who have freedom. Now, let's look at con- principle number four. Principle number four, every believer, each believer must be fully convinced of their position in their own conscience. Look at verse five. One man esteemeth one day. This is the, the, the holy day celebration issue. One man esteemeth one day above another. Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Again, let me just kind of break this down for you. You had had Jewish believers (coughs) who had been taught all their life. There are these celebrations. There are these certain days out of the year that are high days and holy days on the Jewish calendar. And if you want to be a Christian, some of them said, you have to celebrate these holy days. You have to keep the Passover. You have to keep the full moon celebrations. You have to, you have to observe the Day of Atonement, the Feast of Booths, Tabernacles. You have, you have to keep the Old Testament Jewish holy day Ishtar. Uh, celebrations, And if you don't, you're not a believer. Or you're not a really a good believer. You're not pleasing God if you don't. Now that's what some in the church of Romer believed. And then you had those who said, I'm not living by that. I don't have to live by the Jewish calendar. I'm a Gentile. <laughs> or I'm Jewish, but I don't have to live by the law because the law doesn't save me. The law doesn't keep me saved. They had... Reasons for their positions. And Paul said, whatever your position is, you must be absolutely and fully persuaded in your conscience. Now here, folks, brings up an issue that I think some of us really do struggle with. And it sounds something like this. Isn't there only one right interpretation to Scripture? And why can't they see that they're wrong? Right? Thought that, heard that, said that. Isn't there only one right interpretation? So why can't they see that they, no matter what your position is, they are wrong? You know why? Because they're fully convinced in their conscience that they have the right interpretation. And God has welcomed. Now again, I'm not talking about where the Bible is very clear on some issues. 
There is only one right interpretation about man and woman and marriage and heaven and hell and virgin. Only one right. But when the Bible gives leeway, and it does on some issues, you must be fully convinced of your interpretation in your conscience. But let me just ask you this again, and it goes back to what we said just a little while ago. Whose interpretation is the only one who's always right? God's. We're finite. We're finite. I have to admit to you, I I have to admit to you, there have been things, and I've told you this, there have been things in Scripture that I I felt like I I, I was spot on as far as interpretation. I could give you word meanings, I could give you positions, I could go to commentaries that backed up what I thought. But I was wrong. And so were they. Folks, we have to always be willing, even though we are fully convinced in our conscience, to admit that our consciences are not always aligned with what God says. But, if you are fully convinced in your conscience, I know this is going to sound contradictory to everything I've been saying. If you are fully convinced in your conscience about your position, don't violate your conscience, because that is sin. We know that from Scripture. It is sin to violate your conscience. Maybe looking at the word here would help us. Go back to verse number five. Let every man be fully persuaded. What is the word fully persuaded? Well, it means to be completely certain, to be fully assured, to be convinced, or to be persuaded. To be convinced, or to be persuaded. Let me, let me give you a couple of texts of Scripture here. Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verse 21. And being fully persuaded. This is actually talking about Abraham's faith. He was fully persuaded that what God had promised, God was able also to perform. This is, this is your word. This is our word. Fully persuaded. This is talking about when Moses was absolutely, Abraham was absolutely convinced that if he took Isaac upon a mountain and plunged a knife through his heart, that God would raise him from the dead. Now, if you know anything about Genesis 22 and the story of the sacrifice Abraham was to make of his son Isaac, is there anywhere in that text that says, that God says, you know what, I want you to kill your son, but I'm going to raise him again from the dead? Anything in that text about it? No. But Abraham knew he would do it. And he was fully persuaded. He was fully persuaded. Luke chapter 1 and verse number 1. For as much as many have taken in hand. This is Luke explaining to Theophilus why he's writing the book of Luke. And by the way, he's going to repeat this same kind of thing when he gets to the book of Acts. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us. Most surely believed. In other words, now Luke is going to write the gospel and the book of Acts 
so that people will be fully convinced of the truth about Jesus. One other text. But watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of your ministry. Paul in 2 Timothy 4, 5, Luke in, in, in chapter, uh, in, in Luke 1, 1, Paul again in Romans 4, 20, uses the same idea that he gave us in chapter 14 in verse number 5, fully persuaded, absolutely convinced, most surely believe, full proof. Here it is, folks. Whatever your position, wherever you are on what you can do in your own conscience or what you, your conscience does not allow you to do, you must be fully convinced and have Bible reasons. Just like Peter did. Peter had Bible reasons for why he wouldn't eat certain kinds of meat. He had Bible on it. But God came, came to him in a dream one day and he said, Peter, it's time for you to calibrate your conscience. It's time for your conscience to grow a little bit. And I want you to understand, Peter, that there's bigger issues at work rather than just what you will or will not eat. We're talking about the gospel is at stake here. You see, folks, that is, a, that is a very important principle for us to remember. Our conscience issues we should always view as way down the priority list compared to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, where, wherever we find ourselves on the conscience spectrum, we should show respect and kindness to others. We should not make fun of their rules. We should not show contempt for their freedoms or judgment, be judgmental of their freedoms. We should be iron sharpening iron. Maybe, maybe we really can help somebody by welcoming them in and talking about these things. But if they, aren't well, they don't want to change their position, you know what, we shouldn't try to push them to do that. Because if you ever push someone to violate their conscience, you're sinning also. Think of these principles and this kind of situation like we have in Romans 14, and we're just about done here. Think of these in relation to who's talking to us. Paul is the one sharing with us here. Paul is the one who is making these principles or giving these principles in order to help his people in Rome have unity. But who was Paul? Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. Now, what's another way we could say that? Paul's life had a bunch of rules that God didn't know. Let me say it again. Paul's life as a Pharisee had a whole lot of rules that God didn't have. 
As a Pharisee, he would have been one of those who added to God's commands, his own traditions, his own interpretations. And he, just like we saw in, in Isaiah's prophecy and what Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, Paul would have been one of those who made the opinions of men equal with the commands of God. Paul would have done that. Now Paul is saying, welcome those who don't have the same conscience you have. Don't judge them. Don't show them contempt. Be fully persuaded in your own conscience about your position. But there's a bigger issue here. The, there's a bigger issue than being a Pharisee of the Pharisees. There's a bigger issue than, than your own positions. One author said when God saved Paul, his conscience must have been like a bursting suitcase, way overpacked with hundreds of rules, some of which were supposed to be there, but many of them which should not have been. For example, his conscience told him to persecute Christians. Right? It's clear from his later writing that he immediately began the difficult task of tending his conscience for the glory of God, streamlining it until what was left was only what God intended there to be. And that ought to be our goal as well. Only being concerned about what God wants there more than our own positions that are already there. So are you willing to welcome, accept, receive those who disagree with you on conscience issues? Are you willing to show love instead of contempt or condemnation to those whose behavior is different than yours when it comes to conscience issues? Are you willing to let God change your mind or further confirm your positions on conscience issues? Are we willing to have unity with those who don't think like us or act like us, but who are fully convinced that they're doing right? Let's bow for prayer, please. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. I know these things are 